Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? I uh, love our 11 o'clock service. It's a little more energetic, right? Yeah? You feeling me? Yeah, all right. Uh, my name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a wonderful family I'd like to introduce you to. I'm going to have their uh, picture on the screen. I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Vanessa, and we have three children, nine seven, and five, and that's Owen, Ethan, and Charlotte, and they were in the first service, and that's their, um, that was our family photo this year, and we have a thing. Every, every kid who turns five um, gets to go to Disneyland for their fifth birthday, and we got to do that for Owen, and Disneyland's awesome. It's a magical place. It really is, uh, does something magical to my wallet, too. Uh, thanks to, like, it tends to things to disappear really fast uh, out of there. And so um, we had a great time with Owen. So my middle, oh, my poor middle. Um, I don't know if y'all, any of y'all are middles in the room, but you, you'll, you'll fail me when I say this. He turned five in 2020. Oh, so he didn't get to go to Disneyland in 2020 because Disneyland wasn't open in 2020. And so, um, so we had to kind of be like, okay, Let's regroup. The next year, we're like, what are we going to do? How do we like, you know, make this special for him? And so we went to the second best amusement park in California. What is that? Legoland. Come on now. Legoland is the best, at least for kids under 10, uh, amusement park around. It is a blast. And we got to take them, and we had a great time. Well, at Legoland, the cool thing about Legoland because it has, it's kind of geared towards the younger kids. Uh, they have, it's a lot of times the first roller coaster ride that little kids go on. And the height requirement isn't too, too high. So our two boys had reached the, the uh, part where they could go on the biggest roller coaster in theirs, the Ninjago roller coaster, all right? So the Ninjago roller coaster seems harmful, and, but it actually, uh, harmless, um, but it is actually really fast. Um, you get in this little cart. It's four people to a cart. I have a picture of me um, going down that ride, and I was having a blast. I was enjoying myself. I'm at Legoland with my boys. You know, they're sitting... Ethan's in the seat next to me, Owen's in, in front of us, and we're just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm like, yeah, woo, going down the, you know, the hills and stuff. Well, I did not know what was going through the hearts and minds of my two boys during that um, until I got off the ride and they had this little kiosk that has the picture of what happened when you're going down the scariest part of the ride, right? And it takes your picture. Well, this is how they looked going down <laughs> the ride. And it was a little different experience for my boys experiencing their first roller coaster than it was for me. And I, <laughs> they were traumatized, but they did get back on. I coaxed them enough to get back on there and they, they did better throughout the day. But um, as I look at that picture, I think it, one, I had to buy that picture <laughs> and it's like framed in our house because it's like classic moment in the Hartsville home. Uh, but I thought about that this morning as I thought about kind of what does it look like to step out in faith? What does it look like when we're asked to do something that's kind of impossible? Um, and I think for some of us, uh, we've had a journey of stepping out in faith. Maybe we've done some things in our past that just kind of brought us to the place where we're like, I'm, 
I'm comfortable saying yes to crazy things that God's doing. You know, I, and you know those people, right? And you're always like, okay, what are they doing now? You know, like they just, they're comfortable in that. And then there's those who are just new to stepping out in faith in that. There's this new thing that God's putting in front of them. And they often act, their kind of reaction is like, my kids were on that roller coaster. They kind of, some fear creeps up, some anxiety comes. They start to get just like ugh, uncomfortable. And uh, it may be exhilarating, but they're still uncomfortable. And I want to talk about what would it look like uh, for us to take a little bit of step of faith when it comes to prayer. We've been in an awesome prayer series. We've been learning all about kind of different dynamics of prayer. So a lot of it has to do with kind of like our, our relationship with prayer and our relationship with God. So we learned about how Jesus demonstrated a unique relationship with the Father, that they, were, they had this intimacy there. So whatever he asked, he, he would receive. And we have that same access now through Christ. We talked about getting naked before God, not physically. I mean, if that's your thing, whatever. But you just get spiritually naked before God, let it all hang out, and you're just letting it go, right? You're just, just being naked before the Lord. And then last week, uh, we talked about how when we go to God in prayer, that we never leave empty-handed. But the answer is always yes. That there is a deposit, there is something for us. And I want to take that a step forward and put it in the context of relationships, right? Because when it comes to like then praying with other people, praying for other people, and getting into their world a little bit, there can come some anxiety. I've walked with quite a few people um, who have anxiety about praying out loud, right? Pri private prayer is what they're, they're good with. Anything more public, nah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Well, I wanna talk about a faith story in the Bible. And it's the story behind the story. Do you guys know who led the apostle Paul to Christ? Anyone know? His name is Ananias. Ananias is that kind of unknown, really, hero of the Bible. Because Ananias was the guy that led the apostle Paul to Christ. See, the apostle Paul wasn't always the apostle Paul. He was Saul before that. And Saul, Saul's mission in life was to destroy this new Christian church that was budding up. All of these, these, these people had been saying that the Messiah who was crucified had been risen from the dead and lived again. And they were proclaiming that all over the place. And all of this, this new church was breaking out. Saul's mission was to stop that. And he would go and he'd round up Christians and throw them in jail and sometimes put them to death. And so he was on his way to Damascus one day. He was, on, he was on the road to Damascus when a huge light comes out of the sky. And I, I found this picture online of someone uh, who had painted this scene, but he drops to the ground and he's met with Jesus himself saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so he asked, he's like, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus. So he gets this crazy encounter with Jesus and he, he, his eyes are open, but he can't physically see anything anymore. He's blinded by this experience. He's physically blinded. 
And so his friends help him up and they take him to a home. And it says that he stayed in that home for three days, blind, confused. You know, maybe he was, he was spending time in prayer, really reflecting on all the things that he had done. He was in a, in a really tough spot. And that's when God decided to do some things behind the scenes in a different part of the city. With a normal believer, with a regular follower of Jesus named Ananias. Let's pick up in Acts 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Oh, sorry. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he was praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So here we have a guy who's just minding his own business and the Lord places something on his heart. He's got a specific mission and instruction now. He's got to go and do something. Well, (laughs) this isn't just some like simple little task here. This is something really really important. But what's in, what's, what struck me when I, when I was kind of studying this passage was I was like, wait, 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 wait. You're sending Ananias to Saul, but literally Jesus just came and revealed, like, have any of you guys had Jesus directly come to you and, and say, this is who I am, I'm Jesus? No, like, he got, Saul already had that. Like, what's, what's Ananias gonna do? Why is he sending this man? And it got me thinking just about how God works, just about how maybe God has even worked in my life. And I think it's a truth that we all kind of have to be reminded of every so often, that God actually invites us to contribute to the unfolding stories of others, that other people have all kinds of ups and downs in their story, but God is inviting us to contribute to just a part of their story. He invites us to go and be his messengers. And here Ananias was saying, I'm sure to himself, hmm, okay, going to Saul's house. So he's receiving this instructions. Let's see what he says back. Acts 9, 13 through 14 says, this is what Ananias said back to the Lord. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and uh, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call in your name. So he's, he's, he's saying, God, come on. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know if you know this, but uh, this guy's kind of dangerous. Actually, he's hunting Christians. I being one of them, <laughs> I'm a good follower of you, Jesus. So um, uh, just so you know, um, yeah, I, there's some stakes for me. And he started to kind of put himself, he kind of started to think ahead a little bit and put himself in the, in the shoes of like, okay, if God is sending me there, there may be consequences for me. If this goes south and uh, this, is, this guy isn't really a changed man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And my whole family's in trouble. And so he's thinking about it, you know, and it brought me back to some, some parts of my life where I may have hesitated a little bit. 
um, in answering God's call. And I think it's, I can relate with Ananias here. Um, and I don't know if you guys can relate where you're just like, oh, I don't know, God. Well, you know, you know, people uh, have known me before I was a pastor as the executive director of a ministry in town called Club Christ. So Club Christ has been around for almost 20 years. I started Club Christ when I was in college with a friend. And um, crazy story of how all that went, went down. But essentially, everyone kind of looks at all the fruit that's come from those you know, 20 years you know, kids going to college for the first time, kids who didn't know Jesus, you know, living in really rough uh, communities all throughout the city. And they're, they're coming to know Jesus and they're, they're loving God and living for him and all this stuff. And they're like, man, you are so, you're just such a brave Christian going into these really hard parts of the city. And, and, uh, and I think back and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. If you only knew what it was like when I got the call to start Club Christ. It wasn't like, yeah, woo, let's do it. Uh, I'm not that kind of guy. I don't know about you, but I'm the guy who likes to anal- analyze things. You know, uh, what do they call it? You know, analysis paralysis. Uh, sometimes I get stuck in thinking through the next steps uh, before I do something. My wife's not like that. She's just like, Sign me up. Let's go. Okay. Woo. When are we leaving? Um, she's as gung-ho for new things. I'm a little more skeptical. And so I was given a tour by another Christian in town working with the mission organization of this neighborhood off of Martin Luther King and Cary. I was 20 years old. I had never been to Martin Luther King Boulevard, even though I'd grown up in Las Vegas. And I was looking at this neighborhood and I was asking, like, why are the police here? And uh, he said, well, the police are here. They have a police substation here because the, the gang violence had gotten out of control. So they're actually here 24-7. I was like, oh, the gang violence gotten out of control? You know, this is all going in, this internal monologue in my head. And um, totally out of my comfort zone, totally in a place where I was, you know, just uncomfortable, you know? And um, I remember him saying, hey, let's start an after-school program here. And I was like, okay. And I remember going home in that next day, it was just heavy weighing on my heart because I, you know, something's heavy on your heart, but you haven't like embraced it and it's just sitting up there. That was me. And I was like, oh, I know it's up there, you know? And so I went on a prayer walk and I started talking to God about this, this opportunity for me. And I remember, you know, just kind of going through all the things and uh, just sharing my heart. And I remember talking about to him about how dangerous it would be for me. And I remember the Lord saying, dangerous for you? I got kids living in that community. I got hundreds of kids in that community. Dangerous? That's what you're thinking about? Think about these kids. And he took me to 1 Corinthians 13, the passage about all about God's love. And he's like, you're going there because I love these kids. And I'll always love these kids far more than you ever will. And I always, I always give this testimony over the years of Club Christ. It wasn't about me. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing starting a ministry at 20 years old. It's the reason why God blessed Club Christ is because God loves those kids. And he blessed Club Christ in order to be a blessing to those families in those neighborhoods. And so I just was like, all right, God, I'll go and you do the rest. And that's really what Ananias got as, as his kind of ch- marching orders 
he uh, went back to the Lord and the Lord's like, go, what am I, go. Can I be more clear here? This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. So he gave him some context. He gave him a little bit of context to the Gentiles and their kings, to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he gave him some perspective, all right? And God does that. He's generous. He's kind. We can go to him with our doubts and our fears. He's going to meet us right there and give us a perspective. He was essentially saying, look, I know he's been causing suffering for Christians, but now he's going to be the one suffering for the, for the growth of the church. I'm going to do a transformation in this guy's life. Man, you don't even know. And, um, you know, I'm so glad <laughs> that he pushed past that because it said, you know, it, he's going to expand the church to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. So anyone who's not a, a Jew would be now welcomed. They always were, but he would just be a, a, a new voice to say, all are welcome. And let's see what happens next. So he goes, he sees Saul, he gets to his house, he enters it, he places his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you in the road as you are coming here, has sent me so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So first, what do we see? We see Ananias meeting a broken man, a guy who had been praying for three days, wondering what was his next step. And Saul couldn't see Ananias at this point, right? He was blind. And so he needed some other way to know that this man was safe, that this man was from God. And how did he show that? First, he placed his hands on him. Just a loving touch, a tangible touch. God is spirit. And so who gets to be the manifest presence of God here on earth? We do through our touch. And then he said, brother, he, he said, hey, brother. It's like, you're part of the fam now. You're part of the fam, welcome, welcome. And so not just, he couldn't see the love that was in his eyes, but he felt it through his touch and his voice. I have a favorite commentary um, I go to. It's got David Guzik. He had a great perspective on, on where Saul was at here. He said, God did an effective job of breaking Saul, but it wasn't his intention to leave him broken. God wanted to break Saul so he could fill him and leave him filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see, God waited for that to happen till he was in the middle of community. God could have filled him with the Spirit days before. On that road to Damascus, he could have been filled right then. But no, he waited. There's something special when, when we say yes to God's people, when we say yes to a gathering like this, when we say yes to our prayer meeting or a life group, God shows up in a tangible way. He just loves to use us like that. He just does. But the reality is Saul becomes Paul and goes on to be one of the most instrumental uh, people that have ever lived uh, to change history. He writes two thirds of the New Testament. He's the guy that, you know, we always talk about, we always quote. He's the guy that wrote what John Piper says for the book of Romans, the most important theological Christian book ever written. So this guy becomes something. Ananias, 
We don't really hear from him again. He kind of fades away from history. He doesn't gain the same notoriety as Saul. But let me tell you this. Not everyone can be a Paul, but everyone can be an Ananias. When we say yes to the Lord, when we put our yes on the table, God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. He really does. I'm going to tell you a story about an Ananias in my life that I'm so thankful said yes to the Lord. See, I was, I was lost when I was a young person. I wasn't going on mission trips in high school, right? I was lost. I was in the party scene. I was doing all the things. When I got to college, I kind of was like, look, I want to reset myself. I want to recalibrate myself. I want to become a better person, right? And at college, you, have a, you tend to have a, like a, a buffet of worldview choices, right? And you tend to, you can pick and choose from what you want. Well, for me, I became really curious about these guys who showed up on campus with these orange jumpsuits. So they, sh- they had their head shaved. They had like a little rat tail coming around. Um, and they looked really spiritual. I mean, they really did. I was really impressed. And uh, I went up to them and, and, and started talking to them about what they believe. Well, it turned out they were Hindus. Well, they were a certain sect of Hinduism called Hare Krishnas. And I was like, hmm, interesting. You know, Krishna, and they even explained it like this. They're like, Krishna, you know, like Christ, Krishna. They like tried it. They knew I came from like a more of a Christian background. They were trying to like tell me, oh, you know, pretty much the same thing. And I was like, okay, you know, do you guys read the Bible? No, 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 we read this other book. It's called the Bhagavad Gita. And, uh, and this, is, this is the Holy Scriptures. It was written a long, long time ago before the Bible and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been missing all my life. And so I literally, for a time in my life, became a Hindu. Yeah, I know that. I don't know if you knew that. But there's people coming up being like, what? You were Hindu? It's like, yeah. Like I literally, I had a guru whose name was Tusta. We met. He, he was kind of coaching me. Um, and uh, he gave me these prayer beads. And he told me, he's like, if you want to connect with the divine, the inner divine consciousness, this is how you do it. You, you chant these things over and over. You say, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And so I took those beads home and I sit in my, um, in my bed. And I'd say, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. And I would chant those things over and over. I'd, I'd go on hikes so I could get off in the wilderness and meditate, and be one with the universe. You know, I'd, I'd be like, you know, Hare Krishna. I'd, I'd, I'd do that. And I was thinking, I was getting closer to this, like, what I wanted, this place. I would have, I, I was there, right? I was the most spiritual guy in the room, you know? And it all changed one day when I met Ananias. I was actually at UNLV. I was uh, waiting to talk to my friend Tusta. He was at a table just probably like, I would say like 30 feet away. He was on the other side. If you guys know UNLV in front of CBC. So he was, it was this, this big walkway. All the students go by. I'm on the other side of the walkway, just kind of, you know, just hanging, just waiting, you know, I have my backpack on. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this college-aged girl kind of walking up to me. And I'm like, huh? I didn't know many people on campus. So for someone to walk up to me and start talking to me would have been weird. And it was. And she comes up to me, and I turn and I look at her, and she's real serious, real almost nervous. And she looks at me, and the first thing she says, she says, are you with them? And points at the table where Tusta's at. And I look at her, uncomfortable now. I say, uh, yeah. 
And she says, I don't know what it is, but I need to, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And she said, they're going to ask you, they're going to tell you to connect with God. You need to pray by repeating things over and over and over. And I was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, yeah, they're going to tell you that. But let me tell you this. God wants us to share our hearts with him. He wants us to, to open our hearts to, them, to him. He wants a friendship with us. He wants a relationship with us. And I was like, okay. And she says, I just, need to, I just need to tell you that those men, they're not from God. And she walks away. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, what just happened? And I turn around. And I walk the other direction. I don't go to the table. And that forever changed my life. I didn't, I threw away those beads. I wasn't going to be about that life. God literally saved my life through someone, a stranger, being obedient to the call of God on their life. And I'm here today and I'm not on some mountain meditating, you know, you know, because of that yes that she put on the table, that she said yes, that God had placed something in her spirit that she didn't say no to, that she responded to, and that's forever changed me. And uh, it's something too, as we, we kind of look about, we look at kind of prayer ministry, right? As, as a thing that's kind of like, how does that work? Because I often, you know, especially, you know, when I talk to people about kind of being raised in a similar home that I did, we prayed just over meals. Like that was our only time we prayed out loud. Otherwise, you just had your little, you know, prayer time. Um, and for me, the, like in a church service, you never actually like had a prayer minutes, like a prayer time, you know, a time where people like went and they, they got pray, prayed over. And so for me, I was like, this isn't something I'm, I'm, I'm super comfortable with, you know? And it's something that like, I think as we as a church think about prayer, as we think about kind of taking that next step in prayer, what would it look like to be an Ananias in someone else's life? What would it look for us to say, keep, to say yes and keep saying yes? And to kind of have a posture that Ananias had. I think there's two postures that, that really are important and we, we gain from this story is to have hands that are they're open and then hands that are on. I have these little emojis right here. These are kind of fun. Uh, my wife was like, is that the right emoji? That looks a little creepy. Like, those, like the, that one hand that runs around on that, that movie. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't want praise hands. That's a, it's just like a, it works, all right? Hands on. Um, hands open, though, is really, in a, we, we get to be a, have a posture of receiving, right? Like when I go to my kids, and they're saying, they run up to me after I'm, I'm gone for a whole day's work and I'm home. What do they do? Dad, you're home. They open themselves to me. That's a, it's just a posture of openness. And um, when it comes to prayer, I've been reluctantly um, open to receiving from God and hearing from God in prayer. I'm all good with telling God what I want him to do. When it comes to like the other side of that conversation of like hearing from God, I've been a little uncomfortable with what that looks like. And so I've actually had a friend who's, who's been really instrumental in helping me with that. His name is actually Paul. Um, he works for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He's one of the, you know, one of those 
guys who just tries out. He just goes and just does everything. He's a radical faith. He's ministering in California right now to college students. But I went to a conference where he was ministering at, and I watched him. And I watched him, like when a guy would come and, and, and want prayer, he'd put his hand on his shoulder, and he'd say, yeah, let's take a moment. And he'd close his eyes, and he was quiet for an uncomfortable amount of time. And then he would say, you know, I'm getting a picture. And he would describe what he was seeing in his mind to this other person. And the other person oftentimes would just like break down in tears. And like, it was just this like crazy Holy Spirit like moment that he was having with people. And I was like, what? I've never prayed like that. And so on the way home, I asked Paul, I was like, Paul, like, because I need to know all the details, right? I was like, Paul, all right, how does that work? Like, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, honestly, it's just a new thing I've been doing where before I pray over someone, I just ask the Lord, what should I be praying for them for? And God just deposits stuff in my, my mind. And I, I think of things or I share things that just are there. And, um, and so this is my next question, obviously. You know, I was like, like um, does it always work? You know, like, do you ever get someone who's like, uh, what are you talking about? You know, like, and I was like, you know, tell me, does it always work? And he's like, no, it doesn't always work. You know, people sometimes are like, I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me. And he, he says, I just move on. I just keep praying. You know, it's not a big deal. And um, I'm like, oh, like, I, you know, I had to get over the fear of what that would look like if I shared something that, I don't know, was from me and maybe not from God. And I had to get to the point where I was like, okay, God, let me, let me try this. And I started trying it. And honestly, it's cool. Like God sends himself to live in us. So the Holy Spirit is living in us. That means he redeems our minds, right? And sometimes he can even redeem our imagination to give us pictures or words or scriptures, right? It's like, I'll get a scripture and I'll just open it up. Like, oh, I'm not, God just laid this on my heart. I'm going to share it with you. And it's something that more often than not, quote unquote, works, you know, in the sense that that person's heart opens. It opens. And I think about that, though, when it comes to, you know, this whole, like, not everyone can be Paul, but we could all be an Ananias. Duh. Do you believe God can speak to you that way? Really though, do you believe that God could use you in a powerful way in someone else's life? Do you believe it's a two-way street that you can hear from God? First through his word, and it's always gonna match his word. Let me tell you that. Nothing's, got to con- nothing's gonna contradict his written word, his revealed word. But could you imagine that God could potentially use you in that way, in a prayer ministry. I hope you do. It's actually been something we're actually pushing you a little bit with. We've created this environment on First Wednesdays, which you guys maybe have heard about. It's a prayer and worship night. We invite all of our students there too, because, you know, there's something about young people who are a little more open. They just got to, or just, they jump in. They're just a little more open. So we got some young people with some crazy faith. And they just believe God for stuff. And so it's a cool environment where we all get to just kind of have some prayer ministry together. Um, but I think about what is holding our church back? And so I started to do a little research. And I, I found some research when it comes to um, this from 
a, uh, a study that Barna Research did. And they kind of asked a bunch of people over the last 30 days, what, what did your prayer life look like? And at some point it may come up here. If it doesn't, that's okay. The overwhelming majority of people surveyed said silently, by myself, that's how I pray over the last 30 days. That didn't surprise me, right? Uh, 13% audibly by myself. Yeah, I like to go on prayer walks. Sometimes I'll, I'll pray out loud. But here's what did surprise me. Over the last thir- three months, actually not 30 days, three months, only 2% surveyed audibly with another person or group prayed or collectively with the church. And, and what that does, guys, is that breaks my heart. Because like I was saying, there's a special anointing over God's people coming together and praying together. Prayer is mentioned over 20 times in the book of Acts. And every single time you saw it was a collective thing. You saw believers coming together, interceding, and you see the Holy Spirit break out in fresh ways. You see God's spirit show up in new ways and it shakes things up. And as I look at this, I'm like, can this just not be our churches, you know, statistics? If I were to survey every single person, can we just not have three months go by without this happening? And I think that's, you know, what Brad's saying, like, hey, we have opportunities like before service, come, pray. We do our little thing before uh, service called, it's like Korean style prayer, where we all pray out loud at the same time. And it's cool because it's just all the 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 prayers going to heaven at once, out loud. It's great. It's fun. Um, but what I want to, what I want to just kind of land you here with is that I think what we, I think what gets in the way of us stepping forward in this kind of ministry is ourselves. I think we, we, we're a little bit too preoccupied with what other people might think about us, what they might think about our prayers. And instead of just doing it, just being raw before God and just stepping out of faith, we take a step back and we're silent or we don't show up for another person because we're not ready to receive. And I think as we kind of think about that, I think we need to be reminded of another hand that's at work because truly it's not us who are doing the life change in these situations. It's not you and I who are going to really change much of anything at all. It's the mighty hand of God. All throughout the Old Testament, the mighty hand of God is, is, is referenced to again and again and again. I have a verse here uh, from Deuteronomy that talks about how God had, in his mighty hand had taken the people of Israel out of slavery. He says, oh Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. And I think there's some prophetic truth to this in the sense that, yeah, back, back then, God had only begun to show his mighty hand because he came in flesh. The God man, Jesus came and showed us what God's hands do. They heal. They go, they touch the leper. They go and, and they they're available for ministry. And that same hand, that hand was pierced. Jesus came and he said, 
I'm pierced for your transgressions. And by his wounds, we're healed. He offered his hands to us. How could we not offer our hands to the world? How could we not make our hands available? And in the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power is in us. How dare we say no to God? How dare we say, oh, but this might not. No, no. When God lays something on your heart, be the Ananias in someone's life. Be the Ananias in someone's life and let the mighty hand of God do the work. He's gonna do it. He is gonna change lives. Let's stand together today.